everybody and welcome to another episode of I've Got a Beatles podcast with Chris and Dave and we have a special show today because a big anniversary occurs this year of the Beatles first album and that would be Please Please Me. 50 years I can't <laughs> believe it. 50 year anniversary. 50 years oh. it's pretty amazing we just passed last year the 50th anniversary of Love Me Do, which got a lot of play and a lot of talk in the news. Uh, but now, yeah, 50 years, 1963, and here it is, 2013. So, pretty incredible how time flies. Yeah, so it's a great uh, opportunity for us to uh, uh, talk about the album and track-by-track track dissection of the album. Uh, you know, this was the first, basically, thing that other than Love Me Do single, uh, you know, that George Martin recorded, and this is their first uh, thing. I just watched the George Martin uh, documentary produced by George Martin, and they were talking a little bit about how he, you know, how he met the group and how, you know, for, uh, <laughs> Brian Epstein uh, 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 came to him and played him a recording, and he didn't like it. He was like, nope, sorry. And Brian was devastated (laughs) and was just visibly like very upset and so he was like oh all right well i'll give him an hour in in the studio and 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 then once he met them he said once you met them you were just like taken by them Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so and so and then he was like i didn't particularly like the music (laughs) but i i liked them a lot so we started working together and then you know the rest is history. So yeah. that, that was pretty funny how he was like, mm, kind of like, eh, whatever. <laughs> Your songs yeah. are, yeah. Well, he was you know. he was their last chance, really, right? Because that they'd failed the audition of Decca Records and a few other companies, and this was kind of a last ditch effort. And hopefully that they would impress George Martin enough. And as you say, it was their personalities that really clicked, and their back his background in comedy and. Uh, interest in taking a chance on this this young, inexperienced group. Yeah, EMI was sort of like a, a separate divisions, and one of the divisions was Parlophone, and George Martin, pretty young, had gone to be the head of, basically the head of that label, and it was basically the throwaway label for silly, you know... Hmm weird acts you know and he turned it into like more of a comedy recording label and so they were a little confused as to why they were getting auditioned by the comedy guy (laughs) but um but they had actually heard some they they knew him and knew of him because they'd listened to some you know spike milligan and peter sellers records and things like that so that that uh you know they bonded right away because of that. And, uh, yeah, and so after they recorded Love Me Do and a few other tunes of Slow Please Please Me and got the single out, uh, George and it actually did okay. Hit number 17 and uh, got some interest around uh, the UK. Then uh, George Martin decided it was time to capitalize here, get another song out and get an album out so that you can get the momentum going and that's where please please me comes about and the whole purpose behind it was we we don't think of it much now because 
the, the, the recordings you listen to of the Beatles live are really full of hiss and uh, girls screaming and not very listenable, but they were a great live band, and that's how they made their name. And so I think that was the purpose behind this album, uh, was to record their live show that they'd been doing, touring all around Britain, and uh, basically saying, pushing record, and hey, let's record the whole day and see what happens, and that's sort of how it worked. Yeah, he said the the biggest obstacle was that they played live so much that they would have, in the early days particularly, hardly any time in the studio, like, just because Brian was making them go, go yeah. play, <laughs> go cash in as much as possible, and oh, yeah. obviously recording's not a cashing in, it's a spending money thing, so it's like, well, well, you gotta do it, and, just, you know, you got, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a Saturday late night, or a, <laughs> a Tuesday afternoon, or something like that, you know, so, yeah. uh, so yeah, so this recording was just all in basically in one day, just knocked them out. I mean, they they had a couple other little times when they recorded, but uh, you know, it was all on what was it, February eleventh of nineteen sixty three. Yeah, and for those of you who are really interested in how the Beatles recorded, uh, there was a very interesting story. Uh, that I found in a book that I, actually you can get it on Kindle for just a mere two ninety nine, is uh, is where I found it. It's a book all about the album Please Please Me, Please Please Beatles Please Please Me, the album guide by Joe Rogers, and v worth a read. Very easy to get through. But uh, if you're interested, he talks a lot about how the album was recorded, and the whole point, as we said, was to get them capture them live, and so. They actually tried, George Martin and the recording engineer Norman Smith tried to go to the cavern and some, try to record some live stuff there, but it was too noisy and the equipment didn't work and it wasn't a good situation. So at Abbey Road Studios, they decided, let's try to make it sound live by putting some ambient microphones around the studio and so it would pick up some bleeding. And if you know anything about recording, you, that's the last thing you usually want. You don't want to hear the drums in the guitar part or the guitar part in the voice. So it's kind of an innovative idea. And that's why if you listen to Please Please Me, it sounds very different than any other album. Uh, because even the next album with the Beatles doesn't have that same echo, that same amb ambience to it. So kind of an interesting fact. And I think you can hear that, uh, especially in some of the tunes that we're going to play for you today. The, uh, the album... Um Two, it was released in March of um, 1963, but only in England. Uh, no U.S. release, <laughs> all the way until the 1987 uh, releases on CD. It, you know, there were other uh, versions of it called, like, Introducing the Beatles and the Early Beatles that were the U.S.-type releases. Those were release like a little bit later too like when they you know Beatlemania happened in 1964 that would be the first time that Americans really would have heard these tunes and all split up and not in this order when they went to do the uh, 1987 releases that's when we finally got to 
you know, they made a decision. These English releases are the <laughs> the the end all be all. This is the way they were intended. It you know, so so that was the first time that Americans would have heard it. And I, as a very little kid, um, had never heard a Beatles album, uh, and was sitting in my uh, bedroom listening to the radio and pulling in some Terre Haute, Indiana station. <laughs> And the Terry Haute, Indiana station was a pretty good station because I'd tune to it every once in a while. And they were like, we're going to play the first two Beatles albums back to back. And and the, it, from these new CD releases, which had just come out or was just about to come out. And so I kind of feel like, other than record collectors, uh, you know, record collectors over the years, I'm sure, have gotten the English original Please Please Me release. <laughs> but uh -huh. I kind of felt like, Oh, I'm hearing the Beatles for the first time as a kid anyway, and I'm hearing the first two albums, so I'm hearing them wow. in order. And it was a, an amazing experience, and I put a little, you know, one of these really crappy cassette tapes in there <laughs> and recorded it on one side and recorded the other one on the other side, and I just wore that tape out, just listening wow. to Please Please Me in order, listen, flipping it, listening to with the Beatles in order. Huh. So it's, uh, uh, you know, these two albums, and, you know, I'm sure for everybody in England have such a, like, oh, the Beatles. Yeah, that's the, Be you know, that's the yeah. first time you hear that. Not, maybe not the first time I'd heard the Beatles, but for me, the first time I'd heard any albums from the Beatles. So huh. That's a great story, because I, I, my experience was not quite like that, uh, because I was more interested in the middle period Beatles, so... I think I got into the early stuff a little bit later, but I did buy the record. I remember the early Beatles record, uh, which has most of these songs on it, and listened to that. And it took me a while to get into the early tunes for some reason, but now obviously it's it's you know this is where it began. And there's so many classics on this tune on this album. I think what maybe the excitement of it is they're they're mostly upbeat tunes, uh, very energetic. They're diverse. You have some originals. We're going to talk about each of the songs. Uh, it starts right out with I Saw Her Standing There with that exciting count-in. Uh, you have originals. You have some covers. You have girl group covers. Uh, a little bit of uh, musical songs from Taste of Honey and, uh, and then just regular old rock and roll songs. So it's got, even in a really early album, that's pretty much a live album. You still have some diversity within those songs, and I'm sure it would be very exciting to to be in that spot and hear it for the first time. Pretty great. Um, so the album starts out, uh, as you said, with uh, the Tiffany hit "I Saw Him Standing There." <laughs> oh no! As originally done by the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> I remember that awful cover. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we. Uh, we played the uh, great solo from this uh, in our solos episode. Mm -hmm. um, any, any, uh, you know, it's it's a uh, absolutely fantastic way to start an album. Uh, it does establish sort of the we're going to have a little bit of a live feel to it, mm -hmm. announcing right off the bat like one, two, three, four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It's, and it's formally, it's it's the. It's a classic Beatle type structure where you've got the verse and the chorus and then a bridge and then 
verse chorus and guitar solo and so forth so it's got all the elements there uh, in a very clear way and a very effective way with good singing good harmonies and as we've talked about earlier a great solo so it's it's certainly one of their famous songs and everyone seen everyone knows it so uh, it's a good way to start the album and then it, the next one that follows it is called misery this is another Lennon McCartney original although on the I'm looking right now at my original 1987 Beatles uh, CD release of please please me and it's listed as McCartney Lennon yeah they were they were uh, uh, on the original release hmm listed backwards I guess yeah. or just for this album and then they sorted it out later yeah a uh, little weird a little weird yeah but yeah. misery comes up next and it's a it's a short little song uh, but has some interesting things in it so uh, what do you say we listen to it and uh, and then talk about it a little bit sure Treating me bad Misery I'm the kind of guy Who never used to cry The world is treating me bad Misery I've lost her now for sure I won't see her You saw the, you heard a little bit of the uh, George Martin piano played by George Martin. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> Rocking out with the boys. Uh huh. Definitely fifth Beatle, as we already established. Exactly. Uh, a pretty good song. I like it. I always, always kind of liked it. I, I think it being short kind of helps out. And it being the, it's definitely not a featured song in the album. It's kind of like a go from, yeah, more of like a bridge yeah. on the album. Definitely a B-side type feel to it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the length of it. It's interesting to note that no, well, there's only one song that's over three minutes on this album. And that is happens to be the next one that we're going to talk about in a second, Anna. Is it come, clocks in at 3.01. But wow. everything else is less than three minutes. So this whole album tops out in, in the 30s for minutes so yeah this is a good one if you're playing at a uh, classic rock station <laughs> and you got two minutes uh, before the break before you have to hit ap news um, it's a good one to pop on play it yep. and then they'll be able to say your id yeah uh, before <laughs> exactly so, i like it uh, uh, and of course the, uh, of course Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, of course, the best part of Misery is probably the ending when they actually act like they're in Misery with the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, 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 wow. 
that's funny. The writer Ian McDonald called this, quote, a droll portrait of adolescent self-pity. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so. Well, there you have it. So. In misery. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, but I, I like it. It's charming. It's a, it's a, yeah. a fun little song. Um, actually, all of these songs, even if, like, there's a song that I think just a real dud on this album, you say, boys. Um, <laughs> uh, um, I, in the structure of the album, it kind of works, you know. It's yeah. like everything kind of works and flows flows together really well on this uh, yeah. album. The other thing I wanted to say that I didn't say is that the uh, Please Please Me is ranked 39th on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Oh, wow. Uh, and on the list of greatest songs of all time, number 139 was I Saw Her Standing There. Mm. And number 184 was Please Please Me. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So they chart, at least. So, <laughs> All right. So with the first two out of the way, being originals, uh, we go to our first cover song. And it's a song, it's a slower song by Arthur Alexander. And I know this is one of Chris's favorites. Uh, it's called Anna, and then in parentheses, Go To Him. <laughs> I've uh, even though they never say go to him in the no, song, which is a, just a slight pet peeve of mine. I'm like, why do they call it that? I never thought of that. They really don't. So uh, yeah, and and well, it's a you'd have to di you know find Arthur Alexander. I'm sure he's still around. Yeah, uh, <laughs> to ask him. Um, uh, another thing I, I really noticed uh, in the research was this. Let's listen to a little bit of the Arthur Alexander. And and you'll notice something right away uh, that's different in the Arthur Alexander compared to the Beatles version, and then we'll listen to a little bit of the Beatles version. So you notice the uh, piano, obviously, yeah. is a featured instrument in the uh, uh, Arthur Alexander version. And uh, on the Beatles version, obviously, uh, George plays a, a great version of that on guitar. Mm -hmm. So let's hear the uh, Beatles version of Anna. So, but if you love 
the real, real difference uh, between those two is though John Lennon. Uh, uh, <laughs> John Lennon's uh, vocal performance of that is really fantastic, and and he adds sort of just a, a you know the emotion in the song. He adds the tortured feeling of you know love lost in the song, yeah, um, accompanied with fantastic background vocals, mm-hmm. you know, right on tune uh, and everything, yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's just a great cut. It's like, wow, these guys can really do some great covers. Absolutely. And it it should also be noted, John's voice sounds a little huskier there because the whole day he had a cold. And so you can can sort of hear it's a little bit nasally, uh, but it has a bit deeper rasp uh, to it that I think really fits that song and the anguish of it. So, Yeah. yeah, it's really great quality. Particularly, like at the at the end of the uh, bridges, he kind of wails there. Yeah. With the, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> yeah. If he just wrote down, looks idiotic on the page, and he you know, <laughs> makes it sound like uh, great. So I really, yeah. I've always felt like that's very underrated. I mean, it's not their song, so you don't yeah. ever really talk about it. It's like one of the top Beatles songs, but uh, I know it was. Uh, uh, you know, it's. Uh, Relatively, um, John definitely was one of his favorite songs. Yeah. And it was his choice to add it to the early playlist, play it live and stuff. And I'm I'm sure seeing it live in those early days would have been just phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Showstopper almost. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So after Anna, the change of pace there, uh, we move to the first of what are several cover songs of girl groups and the Beatles are really fascinated by uh, particularly black girl groups of the early 60s and recorded a bunch of songs by different girl groups in on this album and the next one and I think even on the next one too uh, so there's a lot of these covers and the, the next one is called Chains and was given to George uh, it was originally written by Goffin and King, and that's, that's the Carol King of Tapestry, who made her living before she became famous as a songwriter. Uh, I'm sure if the Beatles continued, they would have eventually covered Jazz Man. <laughs> <laughs> One could only have hoped. But, just, uh, just the Carol King joke. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was originally, the song Chains was originally uh, recorded by the girl group called The Cookies. Wow. Yeah. And uh, it has a a sort of similar sound. The Beatles version is sort of similar. It's just guys singing it, of course. Uh, But not uh, to me. It's it's nice. It's not terribly remarkable, but it's a nice performance and has that early harmonica that you hear a lot. Yeah, it's it's this one is is a less definitely a lesser song. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a a like I said, one of those link songs from a great song to yeah. In the running order, it works. Uh, it's a little bit like the tuning is off little, or something. <laughs> on it. It's a little weird. Comes like uh, the the I think it was the decision of how to do the background vocals makes yeah. it sound a little off. It's just it a does. little odd. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. So Sorry. enough about chains, and that's followed up by. Uh, Ringo's vocal for the album 
another cover song also done by a girl group, the Shirelles. And the, there's all sorts of issues with this song. It's it's called Boys. And uh, why don't we do you want to why don't we start by playing the Shirelles version first? We can listen to the original and then okay. then talk about it and go into the Beatles version. So it's called Boys. Actually, I like that version. Yeah, I, 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 really good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, you know, it makes sense because it's a, you know, girls singing about boys. And, you know, <laughs> it does. I know. Makes a lot of sense, you know. Like, it does. And so not then... some weird drummer singing. About <laughs> <laughs> some weird young floppy-haired drummer singing about boys is a little bit. Yeah. Strange. Interesting, if nothing else, uh, surprising yeah. a little bit because that's uh, yeah. Then then it comes to the Beatles song, and why don't we listen to Ringo singing it here? <laughs> Yeah, so he switches the lyrics, right? Yeah. On my girl says when I kiss her lips and blah 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 blah. But this, <laughs> no, I'm talking about oh, boys. boys. <laughs> like what? Yeah. Uh, you're not talking about boys. One, you're talking about your girl. <laughs> first and foremost. Yeah. But maybe you're talking about yourself. Then that's weird. Why are you calling yourself just boys? I don't know. I don't know. It's There's, the lyric, lyrical logic of it is like, what? It doesn't really work, yeah. Yeah. But, that being said... Yes. Se uh, once again, when when you played the Beatles version, I was like, ah, oh, those guitars... Yeah, very energetic. Oh, and great. So, yeah. so tight playing on that one. They yes. obviously played it so much live. They were just like, boom, yeah, right there with it, you know. Yeah. 
Um, so pretty, I mean, and, and it's fun, and it's Ringo being silly and all that. I mean, there's nothing funnier to me in the world than towards the end of this song. What I know what's coming here. Uh, talking about boys now. Uh, <laughs> that is the best nuance ever. Oh. <laughs> and he still does that. When I saw him in last July, he still plays this and he does the same thing. It's great. You're just waiting for that moment. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And as you say, it's the it's a great performance. If, uh, apart from the weird lyrics, uh, it's a great performance and good bluesy song. So. We uh, have those two covers in a row. Actually, three covers in a row. And, then, and well, I want one last thing yeah. with that one. Uh, Ringo actually sounds pretty good singing it. He does. Yeah, yeah he does. So, we'll give Ringo his due. When, when That's right. Due needs to be. Yeah. All right, that was a weird sentence. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, then, uh, next song is Ask Me Why. Mm-hmm. I, I always like this original. It's, it's one I've, I teach when I talk about... Uh, early Beatles songs because I think the lyrics are a little better, maybe a little more sophisticated than something like Twist and Shout, which you sort of know what that's about. But Ask Me Why, there's a, it's sort of a dialogue. and it, it, it starts to present some of the ways that the Beatles would write lyrics. And it's got a nice sound to it. It's some interesting chords. Uh, it's not particularly easy to play uh, because it's in, a, it's in the key of E. And has some chords that are might be a little hard to tune uh, with the guitars and bass and drums together, but uh, yeah, it's, I think it's an interesting song. I, I always have liked it. I don't know what you think about it. Oh, I think it's a fantastic song. I think uh, one thing about it is uh, it's it's a little more jazzy. Yeah, and the chord structure is like a lot um, more complex. Yeah. And the verses are, it seems to me like the verses are, are like different variants of each other yeah. a little bit, <laughs> which you don't usually, particularly on these early no. <laughs> songs, it's like as simple as can be. <laughs> and then here comes this one that's all like jazzed up and... Yeah, it's pretty sophisticated for... Switching was, things up, so... Yeah. I mean, it's a worthy, uh, on its own, just that song is worthy of study. Yeah. Um, but in the end, you're left with the, like, oh, it's not exactly a rock hit song. Mm-hmm. So, at the time it was, was relegated to being a B-side. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so you're talking about what uh, a hit song. Well, definitely the next song is the a big hit, and that was the title track that you heard at the beginning of the show, Please Please Me, that as the very familiar story and often told story goes John Lennon brought this in to George Martin and tried to make it or it sounded a little bit like kind of uh, maybe slow bluesy like Roy Orbison and George Martin didn't really like that version so he said why don't you guys speed it up and so they sped it up and they came up with Please Please Me which was a big hit it was their first number one hit and closes the first side of the album if you had the original record yeah, it's a real um, classic. I mean, it, it's just a, a massive hit, really. I mean, I don't think it was a number one in England. Um, 
but uh, initially, but um, well, it definitely was the big hit that started everything. Out. Yeah, you know, "Love Me Do" and this song, and then they were off the off, you know, <laughs> on a plane to giant success. So uh, you know, I've always enjoyed it very much. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I thought it was oh, the album was number one. I see here. Okay, so it was. Uh... Oh, but the song did really, yeah, it says here, is, again from Wikipedia, it is a common belief that Please Please Me was never a number one song in Britain, but on February 22nd, 1963, the song reached number one on the singles chart compiled by the New Musical Express and the Melody Maker, where it was number one for two <laughs> weeks. Okay, well. Okay. All right. That's kind of like I used to listen to Countdown America with John Leader, which was not... <laughs> Which was not the Casey Kasem countdown. No. So it was sort of like the alternate version countdown. And there was stuff. And, and for some reason, I was like, that's the real countdown. Casey Kasem countdown is baloney. So I always like went off of the countdown America with John Peter yeah. when I was a kid. Like, yes. You know, that's the that police song's number one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so pretty funny. Wow. Uh, but yeah, no, obviously it's a, a, a number one or not number one. It, it's a all time classic and, um, not, I, uh, not much to say about it. I don't have except that yeah. this, this re reminds me cause on the, the anthology, there's a version which has, um, Andy White oh, yeah. playing drum yeah. and, uh, there's an interesting story in the, um, uh, a documentary at George Martin that he uh, it was a simple miscommunication <laughs> and it, and he's like it was Brian's fault oh <laughs> he never told, told me that, that they fired um, fired somebody and hired Ringo they just said they, that uh, I just told him we couldn't have that guy oh uh, talking about Pete Best mm -hmm. and and hired the session drummer so the session drummer came in for the first time they were going to record some stuff. And then Ringo sh shows up and he's like, who's this guy? And apparently Ringo's feelings were extraordinarily hurt. Yeah. And yeah. on uh, Love Me Do, Ringo doesn't, which is the next song, uh, Ringo is credited as uh, <laughs> playing... Um, <laughs> tambourine on the american single version mm -hmm. <laughs> just sitting back like angrily <laughs> scowling yeah. as andy white plays drums on that version yeah um but the uh on the british single version uh which is also on past masters uh ringo plays drums on that one. speed bass plays drums on the anthology version right so, so. All these different drummers for Love Me Do, pretty uh, incredible here. <laughs> and uh, we've talked about it before a little bit, this song. It's very simple. Uh, I, I don't, it's not one of my personal favorites, but it's important because it was the first song that really got them any notoriety. And I think it's also interesting they put it on the album, too, because it was a single. And it's, you know, nowadays you don't often, well, I guess it depends, but there was a time where you would release singles and you wouldn't put them on the album because i don't know if you wanted people to not buy something twice uh and the beatles were good about doing that but they did actually put this on the album uh, yeah yeah like we're at some point we're gonna have a, a longer conversation about 
this song and, and from me to you and she loves you, which we're, you know, we're just like singles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Massive, massive hit singles. But, uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, I think this one really stands out and why it probably stood out at the time compared to all the other stuff on the charts was that harmonica. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, so prominent in the song. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a good, it's a great song, you know, it's a classic, but like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it a little more in depth when sure. we talk about some of the early Beatles singles, uh, a little bit later this year. And so the, the next song is the B-side of Love Me Do, which is P.S. I Love You, another original tune, very McCartney heavy, and it's a little bit of a Latin feel to it. Uh, and I thought we would listen to it now and hear what it sounds like. P.S. I love you. As I write this letter, send my love to you. Remember that I'll always be in love with you. Treasure these few words till we're together. Keep on. So that was P.S. I Love You, and the next song on the album is another girl group cover. This is Baby It's You, uh, written originally by Burt Bacharach and done by the Shirelles. So here's the Beatles version of Baby It's You. It's not the way you smile that touched my heart It's not the way you kiss that tears me apart Oh, many, many, many nights go by I sit alone at home and I cry over you What can I do? Baby, it's you. Baby, it's you. Yeah, so that's uh, baby, it's you. You were you were pointing out while we were listening to it, the echoey uh, effect is yeah. like n- never more prominent than than in this one. Very much so. So yeah, it's got a nice sound to it and a good feel. So that's. Uh, Number 10 on the album, and anything else on that before you want to tee it up to the next tune? Just once again, it was like, it seemed like at the time, oh, oh, John's got one, great, he's gonna, he's gonna get real emotional, <laughs> uh, cause he, he really sings the, the hell out of that one. Yeah, he does. So, um, singing this next one, not John. <laughs> Uh, but uh, one of the uh, better early songs that George uh, sings. Uh, I know that this is one of uh, 
one that you and me, when we were tinkering around one time, I think we tried trying this one out <laughs> with you on vocals. <laughs> I think we had that's fun. My, that's my favorite version of it. But yeah. <laughs> there's this Beatles version, too. Yeah, it's not too bad. This was George's cut on the second side of the album, but he didn't write it. It was actually written by John particularly. And the inspiration of it was from a Walt Disney tune from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, a song called I'm Wishing. And the first two lines of that song uh, read, Want to know a secret? Promise not to tell? And it, so the, there you go, uh, with the, which happens right after the Beatles version of You'll Never Know How Much I Really Love You, You'll Never Know How Much I Really Care. So bringing in some other inspiration to write this one and i think the funniest line that john said about it was he gave it to george to sing because quote it only had three notes and he wasn't the best singer in the world unquote. <laughs> yeah i mean he, he obviously got better but yeah i was like oh something that's great in his range you know yeah. <laughs> a very limited range that's right <laughs> kind of funny um this later became a, a big hit from Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas, too, in mm -hmm. England. Like, a big uh, hit cover version of it. I, I forgot to mention back when we were talking about Misery that apparently a, a single by Kenny Lynch uh, is the first Beatles song to be covered by another artist. Really? A little, a little fact. Wow. So you on, heard it here first, uh, everybody. This, uh, is, uh, <laughs> this is what you get on I've Got a Beatles uh, podcast. But uh, do you want to know a secret? Great. Under two minutes. Perfect. Yeah. Little, little Nice little tune. Yeah. Nothing too fancy. Nothing too fantastic. But uh, George sounds good on it. I like the... Ooh, uh, ooh. Yeah, the background vocals again. <laughs> that, the Beatles really were showing their influence of those girl groups with all these background vocals all divided up in, in harmony like that. And this is another good example. As uh, as you hear, have heard so far in a lot of the other tunes as well. Yeah, I guess I guess what I'm learning today, just by thinking about it, all, talking about all these songs all together, is how obsessed with girl groups they were. Like, they were. They really loved loved those girl groups and yeah. really influenced by them. You know, so yeah. And and uh, if, uh, oddly enough, to pretty much in their career working uh, with Phil Spector. It, it's like, it's wow. like the, uh, the ultimate like oh we finally get to work with Phil Spector yeah. and actually be a girl group exactly <laughs> interesting connection how it all comes full circle like that yeah. wow well after do you want to know a secret we go to a McCartney feature and this is a song called A Taste of Honey I think this song's great uh in that, once again, it really, really, really feels, it has that feel of the album, of the real echoiness, and the prominent, very prominent, just pretty plain rhythm guitar, yeah. <laughs> you know? Boom, chick, chick, boom, yeah. chick, ding, chick. Ding, 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 yeah. You know, it's, I mean, um, but yeah, this one, especially with all of the the do and do's and all that mm -hmm. just feels like so like uh, echoey in the room, you know. 
I don't know. For me, this has always been a skipper song. I I don't really like it very much. I don't I don't like the song particularly. I don't. I guess for me, the most interesting thing about it is when they move to the double time in the bridge. I guess they go faster, and that I, that I kind of like. But the rest of it seems a little plodding to me, and just drags. But it was part of the part of the show and they performed it a bunch of times at the BBC and it was a a big famous song that later became more famous uh, by Herb Alpert in an instrumental uh, version. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a great one. A very cool, yeah, instrumental version which I like better, I think. Yeah, uh, so, I, yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, next up is There's a Place. Which there, to me is... Yeah. There's a place. Double the... Double the lead vocals on this one really and uh you know this uh pretty good pretty good song i i like it yeah i've always thought of it as kind of a companion to misery they both are very similar in their sound they're both around the same length and just seem like they're written the same day or something i don't know very uh, similar feel but it's got that one has a harmonica on it too doesn't it yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really into the harmonica at this stage of the game, uh, but yeah, it's a pretty good catchy tune. You know uh, where the place is too. My mind. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty deep. I didn't... <laughs> yeah, it makes you think. <laughs> makes you th- makes you think. Did not. Who knew that, that a minute forty-five <laughs> length song would really make you think so deeply? Very deep. So. Yeah, and so then that's the last original, and then the last tune on the album was has a lot of history behind it. It's the Isley Brothers' uh, original song, Twist and Shout, that is, it has to me, wouldn't you say probably one of the maybe top five most famous Beatles songs that you hear. It's not they didn't write it, but you hear it more than just about anything else for parties and just constantly played for every occasion. And... The interesting story about it, which you might, maybe you want to talk about it too, the uh, way it was recorded, uh, because it has a spe- there's a reason why it's the last song on the album. Yeah, uh, this is just, it just shreds uh, your vocals when you try to sing it. And John Lennon was like, I, I can't, you know, I, I can't do that early in the day. Yeah. If I do it early <laughs> in the day, everything else is going to sound like crap. Uh, so they saved it to last. His voice is shot by then. Plus, he had a cold. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, we only had one take on this, I guess. And he just scream, scream, sang it. <laughs> <laughs> they did one take, and that was that. You know, it's like, all right, that's it. <laughs> yeah, his quote from an interview, he said. His voice was not the same for a long time afterward, after singing it, and that every time he swallowed it, it felt like sandpaper. This wow. was a one-take deal, which is pretty exciting, actually. This is uh, The Beatles have a couple of tunes in their catalog that they only did once. They recorded once. Long Tall Sally was one, and then Twist and Shout, another one. They're just so... Uh, you, I don't know, you couldn't improve on it, I think. It just captures the whole excitement of the early rock and roll, to me. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think maybe that's the reason this album is so great, great, 
Not that any of the individual songs are... I mean, a couple of the songs are fantastic. But yeah. <laughs> a lot of the songs are kind of like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Like, They're you wouldn't put them, in your, put them in your heavy rotation. But as a whole, listening to it as a whole, you're like, wow, this is... Yeah. Rock and roll, you know? It's really great. It is. Early rock and roll. And, and that, you know, they had hoped to have a live feel with it and definitely you know definitely was accomplished yeah it's yeah it's got that feel to it the energy is consistent i think because it was recorded as we said in one day they came in at 10 in the morning and left about 10 o'clock that night Uh, so it was all all the way through 500 and something minutes i read and just one tune after another and george martin was saying what else do you know what else do you know what else do you want to play and so it's got this live feel and this this drive to it. So I don't think where yeah. Where would you rank this album as far as all the Beatles albums go? Ooh, that's a hard one. Uh, I guess for early albums, it's probably I don't know somewhere in the middle probably, but it's maybe the best early it, up there with with the Beatles. I think. Uh, might, I might put this ahead of with the Beatles, so maybe fifth or so in the mix, somewhere in the, the middle, but the highest early Beatles album to me. Yeah, I think I, I'd be with you there. It's it's has its flaws, but really the flaws on this one are very forgivable, mm-hmm. whereas once you get to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Beatles for sale, the flaws are unforgivable. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I'd put it about there. I mean, uh, you know, I think everyone, if anyone puts this, like, number one or something, I I have to wonder what they're thinking, you know, if they've even listened to, you know, stuff like Revolver and things like that. It's like, uh, but, yeah, I think think that's probably about where it goes. But uh, uh, great, I can't believe it's 50 years old. Wow, happy uh, birthday, please please me, huh? Wow. Yep. So I guess we'll go out with a little of that uh, screaming uh, twist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Scream <laughs> Well, and one last thing we might mention is the cover. Uh, it's very oh, famous, yeah. very iconic cover. Yes. Uh, it also appeared, or I think it appeared, if not this one, but a similar off shot appeared on the Red album, 1962 to 66, and then they, the Beatles uh, had the same photo recorded in 69 when they looked a lot hairier. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> you, can, you can see the, the cover of Please Please Me. They look very fresh-faced and excited to be on the verge of stardom. Yeah, famous railing is what they call it. Yeah. yeah I guess when the EMI building, which is where, where this was recorded, I guess they had wanted to... Re- take a picture in the zoo or something <laughs> and they they were like no you can't come in here or something oh. so they're like yeah i guess we gotta well let's just go at the emi building and do that and it became a real iconic picture yeah uh, uh another uh picture from that photo session i guess was used to, on a different like singles collection or something mm-hmm. but uh but this exact picture and the yeah and the uh the one they took later <laughs> Uh, which I've always thought is super cool. It is. I guess that was supposed to be the the idea behind uh, 
the get back sessions uh that they took that picture for those sessions oh, yeah. and that they were like yeah we're cap we're gonna capture it just like we captured this yeah so well, we're gonna rehearse our tunes and then do it it just was a terrible idea it didn't work out but yeah yeah but well, anyway. in any case yeah so good stuff so thanks for listening and hope you have enjoyed our review of please please me and make sure to give it a listen on your own and we'll go out with as we said the <laughs> chris's best description here of twist and shout which is scream singing <laughs> so what else needs to be said let's listen to john lennon scream sing twist and shout and we'll catch you next time thanks for listening Sing